1: Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today.
2: Hey, folks, this is Kevin. On today's episode, we are live from NYC PodFest, where you'll hear Selena Kopic
3: No one's going to get hurt here, because fuck you, because fuck you. You know what I mean?
2: <laughs> that and more. But first, a few words. Listen, if you haven't heard yet, postage rates are changing again. And you know what that means. It means the post office is going to be even more crowded now. That's why we use stamps.com. You can buy and print official U.S. postage right from your desk using your own computer and printer. Stamps.com always updates the postage rates for you automatically. And unlike those postage meter companies, stamps.com never charges a fee to do that. So with stamps.com, you get the exact postage you need for any letter or package when you need it. You never have to go to the post office again. We use stamps.com and we love it. Right now, we have a special offer for you when you use our promo code RISK. It's a no-risk trial, plus a $110 bonus offer that includes a digital scale and up to $55 free postage. So don't wait. Go to Stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in RISK. That's Stamps.com, enter RISK. Now here's the show. so much, everyone. Welcome to Risk. How's everyone doing tonight? Holy shit. I think the entire city is running behind tonight. Um, For one thing, we've learned that medical marijuana is going to be okay here pretty soon. I mean, that is good news for me because as many of you already know, I am a very, very sick man. (laughs) Uh, I was very late myself because the trains are crazy on the weekends here now. They kind of don't really exist for poor people in the city anymore, the trains that go out of town. Listen, how many people have heard the podcast Risk before? <laughs>
4: Awesome.
2: Great to know. Great to know. If you don't know, Risk is the show where people tell true stories that they never thought they'd dare to share. So, it's not quite like an NPR kind of storytelling show. The theme of tonight's show is confession, right? And that's an odd theme for risk, because that's kind of like putting a hat on a hat, right? <laughs> but I'm going to try something I've never tried before. You see, because when you do this storytelling stuff all the time, you kind of come up with, like, a greatest hits, like 12 stories or whatever that you pull out whenever, when you're going to other towns. There's a story I told... In the second week of risk in 2009, that became kind of, you know, a little bit of a classic. I'm going to retell it tonight, but at the end, there will be a confession. (laughs) Another detail will emerge that will shed new light on this tale. So let's see how this goes. A lot of people don't believe it, but I kind of knew I was gay from, like, day one. A lot of people think, you know, kids don't know that stuff, but seriously, like, ooh, I think the first conscious thought I remember having was I was, you know, about three and a half or four years old, I was looking at the shag carpet in the dining room and just thinking to myself, wow, I really like boys' butts. (laughs) And every other thought I've had since that afternoon has been pretty much that same one. But the thing of it is, is that Cincinnati is a town that hates sex. It's very, very afraid of sex. So in Cincinnati, it's not like, homosexuality doesn't exist it's like sexuality doesn't exist so by the time I was 18 and ready to leave Ohio and come to NYU I was so excited and very horny I got to NYU my first week, and already I was thinking, when am I going to have my first hookup, my first gay experience? But the thing of it is, I really hadn't done any research on this city of New York. I didn't know anything about the geography or the history or anything. So I didn't know where gay men congregated. So... One day I'm in the first week of school just standing around the hallways of the musical theater department and I hear two guys talking and they're saying, oh, you know what? You know where a lot of really good looking gay guys get together? Up on West 82nd Street, there's a bar where all the guys from Columbia go and they're all really preppy and all that kind of thing. And I thought, oh, my God, oh, my God, I've got to learn where this bar is. So I start writing stuff down. And this shows you what a great detective I was at the age of 18. I'm right in the middle of Greenwich Village. And I'm (laughs) tracking rumors that gay men congregate 82 blocks north. (laughs) But they said, the place is called The Works, and there's no sign out front that says what it is, but there is a sign out front that shows plumbing, so you'll know that's where you're there. So I thought, oh my gosh, this is so great. I went to a little shop, and I got an individual packet of lube. (laughs) Because I thought, this is it. This is the night. I'm going to pull out my little pack when the time comes. And I took the train up there, and I found the place. I found the plumbing and all that stuff. And I walk in, and the guy says, oh, if you pay $5, we'll put this little thing on your wrist, and you can drink all the Pabst Blue Ribbon you want all night long. I was like, oh, my God, this was a great decision. (laughs) I go on in, and it's just like the guys said. It was so many cute guys. And here's the thing. I was your typical gay kid who kind of grew up terrified of competition. Right? I didn't like sports. I didn't even like Monopoly. I didn't even like the game after which this show is kind of named. <laughs> <sighs> So all of a sudden, I noticed there's all this competition happening around me. Men who are competing for other men. All the cruising, it made me so nervous. So I just kind of backed into a corner and started drinking PBR after PBR after PBR. And I kept saying to myself, uh, just, just stand up and say hello to that one, Kevin. And I didn't, didn't find it in myself to do it. And I'd say, that one, get up and say hello. I couldn't do it. Finally, at one point, I was like... I'm going to get up, I'm going to say hello, whoever crosses in front of my path. And I got up, and suddenly, all that PPR hit me. This tidal wave of nausea hit me, and I was like, I'm not saying hello to anyone. I've got to get out of here. So all of a sudden, I'm like a a bear on a unicycle. (laughs) trying to make my way out of this place and when I finally make it to the door I break through into the fresh air and I thought okay all right Kevin that was sad (laughs) that was your first attempt to hook up but you've got you're only 18 you've got so many years ahead of you it's your first time just forget about it cut your losses and go home So I start to walk around, looking for the subway again, and I figure, well, wait a minute, why don't I just sober up a little bit and get some fresh air and see where I am? And I'm walking down the block, and I notice there's this big, weird, black void across the street. I'm used to seeing building, 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 but across the street, there's just this darkness. I thought, oh, my God! This must be that place they call Central Park. (laughs) And haven't I heard rumors that men congregate at Central Park at night to have anonymous sexual encounters? Well, I'm here to tell you, they do. (laughs) But that is at a part of the park called the Ramble, and I was nowhere near there. Nevertheless, I thought to myself, you know what? Any man who's walking in that park at 3 o'clock in the morning is probably either on his way to the forest sex party (laughs) or coming back from it. So why don't I just look for that guy? So off I went into the dark, into the woods. Now, I have to have a little caveat at this part of the story, because when I tell it to gay friends and straight friends, people react differently. My gay friends, they're all used to this kind of story because they have friends who have had tons of anonymous sexual encounters in weird places in public. And they're used to this story being of the comedy genre. (laughs) My straight friends only know this kind of story from the news, and... (laughs) Those stories always end with chloroform and a chainsaw. So at this point, I usually feel people thinking, oh my God, don't tell us you were murdered. I wasn't. But it was almost as bad. About 60 seconds in, I was like, oh my God, I'm already lost. I already don't know how to get out of this park. And you know what? I don't want to get even more lost. And you know, if my theory is correct that any man walking at 3 o'clock in the morning in this park is either going to the four sex party or coming back from one, why don't I just wait for that man and that man alone, and we can have our own little party together? I don't need to get to the big party. I only need one guy. So why don't I just park myself in the bushes <laughs> and wait for him? And then I figured when I saw him coming, I'd just shimmy the leaves of the bushes. <laughs> and surely he would then see me and think, oh, what? it's another man in the park. Time to whip our dicks out. <laughs> so that's what I did. I parked myself in the bushes, ready to shimmy. And sure enough, after about 10 minutes, a guy, I see this male figure coming down the walkway in the fog. And I look closer and I'm like, oh my gosh, he looks like he's wearing really nice clothes, like maybe Brooks Brothers suit and a really nice briefcase. It's an odd way to dress for the forest Sex Party. Looks like he might just be coming home from work. But I was like, "Oh, he might be the only guy I see. I better jostle these leaves. (laughs) So I jostle the leaves, and he stops. He takes a good look, and he clearly thought, what the fuck is this bozo doing in the bushes? And hightailed it out of the park. Now I thought, all right, Kevin, before was sad, this is pathetic you're waiting for just
4: anybody
2: in the bushes listen call it a night just give up you've got to get a better game plan together so i was like all right all right i'll go back to the subway but you know what before i do that maybe i'll just take a little bit of a rest maybe i'll take you know the weight off my feet for a minute so i just laid down for a second in the bushes (laughs) And about an hour and a half later, I came to again, and I was like, where the, oh, 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 yes, I'm, I'm in Central Park. Uh, I started to stand up, and I noticed that it was kind of wet and cold under my feet, and then I looked down and I noticed someone had stolen my sneakers. Someone had taken my sneakers right off my feet. I don't even know how they found me in the bushes in the first place. But they had, and they had absconded with them. I always like this part of the story because I get to say absconded. (laughs) So now I'm thinking, you know what, Kevin? Before was sad, and then there was pathetic. This is fiasco, you know what I mean? Fiasco is when, like... The bad things that happen no longer have anything to do with cause and effect, you know? This is just like apocalypse now of hooking up, basically. <laughs> so I'm like, get out of here, get home. So I get out of the park finally in my sopping wet socks, and I do find the subway. And they had tokens back then, so I was like, oh my god, I've got to get my token. And the train was whirling into the station at that point, And I thought, oh my gosh! The train at like four thirty in the morning. They only come like every hour, so I better get this one. I can't miss it. So I put my thing, my token, in there, and I run up to it. And it's whooshing and whooshing and whooshing by me, and slowing down. And I start to feel that wave of nausea again. And the train slows entirely. And I kind of lean against the door, and it goes bang,
4: bang. <laughs>
2: And it opens up, and I explode with vomit into the train. Now, there's about six people on this train, and they're all looking at me like, What the fuck? Who vomits into the train? Who runs up, waits for it to stop, waits for bang bang, and then lets a rip. But I was like, oh my God, no, I have no time to be self conscious here. I better just jump on or I'll miss this train. So I jump on, momentarily forgetting that my feet are wet and only in socks, and I go swoop, and then bam, down in my own mess. And now the six people on the train are at the other end of the car. And I thought, well, that has got to be the cherry on top. And all I could think to do was wave at them, like, hello and good night. Now, here is the confession. That is the story that I've been telling all these years. That's the story that I told on the second night of Risk ever. But even though we call it True Tales Boldly Told, there is a bold lie right in the middle of that story. Because the truth is, I blew that business, man. <laughs> He did not walk up, look at me, scurrying in the leaves there and think, oh my gosh, I've got to get out of here. I had a theory, and everyone here thought it was crazy. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, if a man comes through here, he's either on his way to a party or back from one, surely he's going to think, let's whip our dicks out. Well, I only did one piece of research and got one piece of evidence, but the hypothesis proved true. (laughs) he saw me wiggling in the bushes and he stopped and he was like what the hell and then he just kind of like stood around for a while and got closer and closer to me until we were close enough to be making eye contact and then he kind of like indicated toward his crotch and I kind of nodded and kind of started to unzip and I kind of got on my knees and we had a grand old time (laughs) And then, of course, I took my nap and got my shoes stolen. <sighs> but the thing of it was, in those first days of risk, I wasn't sure if the audience could handle it. I was still feeling it was too risky myself. But you know, we're in our fifth year now, and by this time, a lot of you have probably heard the episode Kevin Goes to Kink Camp. <laughs> So, by this point in the series, I've been tied up and peed on and screwed by a woman with a strap on. I figure everyone's ready for the truth about what happened in Central Park that night. So that is the kind of magical confession we can expect tonight. We have a wonderful, wonderful lineup of storytellers, folks. Um, It's it's thrilled to be a part of NYC PodFest, by the way. Like, such a wonderful thing. It's like, this is only like the second year, right? It's really jamming. And I love the space as well. I want to bring up our first storyteller. (laughs) I tell this story every time he does Risk now. that The first time I ever met him, I was backstage at a Risk show At the pit, and I was listening to the storyteller on stage. And no one's allowed backstage except the storytellers, but all of a sudden I get this nudging next to me, and I look over, and it's this kid, and he's like, I want to do this show. (laughs) So I was like, All right, just email me. And he has, and he's been wonderful. He is a fantastically talented stand up comic. He also writes for The Atlantic, I just learned. Please welcome to the stage, Alex Adelman. Hey.
5: I thought I was second. Uh, There's Peppermint. All right. That was gross. Sorry. How are you? Good. All right. Uh, I have, uh, I've blackmailed people for secrets. Uh, I like traveling a lot. I like airports. I really like airports. Uh, like, I, I do layovers. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm a fan. Like, if I book over the phone and they're like, is there a layover? Do you mind? I'm like, I prefer it. (laughs) Because in my mind, airports are always these great places where people, they're all going to different adventures and vacations and business trips. And in reality, it's just like five Hudson News and the Chili's. (laughs) But in my mind, I love every airport. I like the dumb named airports like Sky Harbor and Phoenix. And like, they're just the dumbest name for an airport. Sky Harbor is just another way of saying airport. (laughs) Sky, air, Harbor Port Airport Airport. (laughs) My favorite airport to fly through is Dallas-Fort Worth Airport and in Dallas-Fort Worth Airport my favorite terminal is Terminal C. Terminal C sees 32,000 people a day. 32,000 people a day. For those 32,000 people they have four electrical outlets. (laughs) Last time I flew through there was 2010. And I had all my stuff with me. It's coming from three months in L.A. And if you want to find young people at any airport, go to the electrical outlets. (laughs) Because that's where we're charging our phones. And that's where we'll spend most of our layover, complaining along with 50 other strangers about how lonely it is in this airport and that there's no one to talk to. And I have all my bags with me, and I realize something as I'm waiting for this outlet. I pull out of my bag a power strip with eight outlets, (laughs) and immediately, I was the most popular of the 32,000 people (laughs) that come through Dallas-Fort Worth on a daily basis. And I was with another person, and I think maybe the first person to come up and ask if she could charge her phone was cute, because he said, sure, you can charge your phone, but you need to tell us something about yourself, So, which is a cheesy pickup line, I'll grant you, and given that the window of success of hooking up with somebody in an airport (laughs) can be anywhere between 15 minutes or 3 hours at maximum but this was sort of a thing everyone who came up, we asked them for a secret for like, just something about themselves, but we would egg if it wasn't fun, and most, here's what I learned by the way Um, Texans, incredibly boring secrets (laughs) they'll tell you anything they're open books, but they're shitty books (laughs) The books are all less than five pages. Not fully colored in yet. And about people who don't read books. Most of them are just like, I like chocolate, or I'd probably be in Slytherin, like something really stupid. And then occasionally we get someone who's like, peroxide blonde housewife from some part in texas and she'd be like i like anal just like to shock us <laughs> but we, you know it actually created a conversation because airports you learn uh, people are different people in airports like extroverts become introverts introverts become because fuck it you're never going to see them again and so we're meeting a lot of these pr- you know pretty vanilla single servings but like um <laughs> we're sitting there and then all of a sudden this round of applause starts rippling through the terminal and i look up and it's a platoon of soldiers marching in formation, down the middle of the terminal, everyone's standing and applauding. It's Texas, it's a reflex. Everyone stands up and they just applaud like you would for the National. And of course we stand because, you know, these are soldiers. And and they break off uh, when they get into the terminal and they come over to the outlet. And, you know, of course, they go, you know, tell us something about yourself. Most people just respond with name and rank. Yeah. And we're just, no, we're not going to be like, that's not good enough.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
5: tell us more. But like the funny thing is we started getting people started finding out about the story time power strip I sort of got this dude in like a Jeff Gordon hat the most cliched southerner you could ever come up and came up and he went I hear you guys are taking stories <laughs> and I was like yeah do you want to charge your cell phone and with great pride he went don't got one <laughs> but he had a story. (laughs) He would have been in Slytherin. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, It was was something bad. But but, uh, one of the soldiers comes and he plugs his in. He told us something about himself. And as far as it went, it was pretty interesting. I don't remember it exactly. The next guy comes up, also a soldier. He didn't even say anything. He just was holding the phone, holding the charger in his hand. He sort of presented it. And I went, all right. And the other soldier on the outlet went, nah, that's not how this works. You have to tell us something about yourself. And the guy said something really boring, like I like the Mets or something like that. And I was like, all right, go ahead, proceed. And the other guy went, nah, that's not the most interesting thing. Tell them the real interesting thing. They were in the same unit at Ramstein, Ramstein Air Force Base in uh, Germany. And he said, tell him that thing. And the guy went, Come on, dude. And he went, no, tell him about cheating on your wife. Oh. And so now, like, the chocolates and the Slytherins are, like, really
4: fucking...
5: <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and I went, you cheated on your wife? And he went, yeah, it was someone in my unit. And I was like, there were women in your unit? And he went, no. <laughs> and so, of course, everyone. the funny thing is people start now melting away there are no more fun this is the middle of texas and someone just admitted a soldier who they've applauded for is now admitted to like a gay thing and there, it's become this real it, it's just me and him and this gay, his name is mike he's from boise and uh, he's flying home to idaho and i ask him like what are you going to do when you get home have you told her and he says no nah. i said what are you what are you thinking of doing and he pulls a stack of napkins out of his pocket Napkins. The only detail I remember is that his handwriting was real bad, and that there were Delta napkins. And he was looking at these things, and he was. T- and we talked for about an hour, it was between forty-five minutes and an hour, until I went. Are you going to miss your plane? And he went. Shit, I don't know. I might have already. It was a really like impressive kind of moment, because you know everyone else. it it'd be it, the point of airports is supposed to be transient and trivial, but it was a very permanent thing for this guy. For me, it still was. This is a story I tell on a podcast. But for this guy, it was a major life event. And I went home, not really feeling the weight of this massive secret from the airport. And then about a week and a half later, I get an email. It was back when I kept my email address on my Twitter page. No, I don't. Uh, he had remembered my name, and he sent me an email. And the first sentence of the email was, I thought you might like to know. And I remember reading the email and getting to the end of it and just being pretty stunned. And... Uh, and it was, it. I mean, for this guy, now for me, too, I guess, it is kind of a, um, you know, a momentous secret. And, you know, secrets like that usually stay in airports. All right, guys, thanks so much for having me. I'm Alex Edelman. <laughs> Alex Edelman!
2: You know, I hate to say it, but... <laughs> the fun that I had with that soldier at Ramstein Air Force Base. Some of the best scat play I've ever known. I kid, I kid. Our next storyteller, I have, uh, it's been such a thrill to get to know these guys this past year. How many people know the podcast Keith and the Girl? Listen, I mean, I remember how they used to always call Lou Reed the godfather of punk or something like that. I always think of Keith and the Girl as being like the godfathers of podcasting because these guys have been doing it since i don't know 2005 or something 2004 maybe even and uh, they have just put out a book the ultimate podcasting guide so check that out i was telling them i think i'm going to check it out myself and first i'd like to bring up the girl of keith and the girl please welcome to the stage hamda
4: yeah!
0: Hi Thank you. so much fun to be here. <clears throat> I, I uh, don't know if you could tell by my name, I'm from the Middle East, and I was raised with very traditional Middle Eastern family. It's very sexist, very tight. And one of the things that they like to do is, instead of explaining some things to you so that you won't do the wrong thing, they just scare the ever-living shit out of you and then kind of guilt you into not doing it. And it worked for a lot of things, including drugs. I really thought that if I smoked some pot, I'd be on some street somewhere. I'd be homeless. I don't know, I believed also the commercials around that time, I was around 10 or so. I believe the commercials where my brain would turn into an egg and just fry on the street. (laughs) I thought that I would melt into a couch and never be able to talk to a dog again. I just was so frightened, and I didn't drink, I didn't smoke, I didn't try it, really. I took a couple sips. Maybe I pretended I was drunk a couple times just for funsies because I was bored. So uh, I was 21, and I did. I tried I tried it a little bit, but as some of you might know who may have tasted the marijuana, it doesn't really take the first couple times, so still at 21, I still wasn't doing anything. But it's interesting, the more you tell people you don't do it, you're not interested in it, it's just not your thing, the more it pours your way. So I got shots bought for me. I got marijuana pasta. I'm still calling it marijuana. (laughs) I'm so not cool. (laughs) So I'm having all this stuff. If you ever, ever want a shot or want any kind of, of drug, just say you're completely opposed to it, and it'll just fly your way. So at 25 years old, I decided to try this again. I had a roommate moving in, and he was the biggest pothead skater. Tattoos, awesome. And this is what made me feel safe, to try it for the first time. The second night that he was there, he's so enthusiastic. I'm going to get you high for the first time. It's going to be amazing. And I thought, eh, it won't take anyway. Let's try it. I think my brain is fully developed now. I've cooked a couple of eggs. We're good. (laughs) So... He takes out a bong, and I don't know what the hell to do with a bong, even to this, yes. To this day, if I'm going to try that, somebody has to hold the little thingy and then tell me how high to go, and then, you know, you know, what a pothead in the front, you really know. So, so that's what he did he held the little thing for me told me to inhale told me to hold it told me but it was, it was this big you know sort of like I was running a marathon he was very enthusiastic about it hold it go 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 I oh. five seconds later I'm not high so I try it again yes you are right to murmur so I tried it again, and I tried it again, and I tried it again, and I never held my breath for so long, ever in my life. And I was like, see, it doesn't woo. And I feel it, like, you know, in a video game where you sort of power up, like, woo. I feel, yeah, I feel the high coming from, I don't know, my vagina somewhere. I feel it coming up, and I'm like, fuck, I'm getting high! And I'm freaking out. I'm just like, holy shit, this is it. It's coming. I could feel it. It's like, I don't know. Am I going to vomit? What's happening? And, and I'm, as I'm panicking, I, I've watched enough TV and enough movies that you can give yourself a bad high. And so <laughs> I try to calm myself down. I'm just like, we're cool. Don't give yourself a bad high. I'm just sort of breathing. And then I fall into that haze. And then um, I made a complete fool of myself. I thought that we were having a lot of fun, but my roommate, we'll call him Evan, cause that's his name. Um, <laughs> my roommate Evan, the next day called me shameless, which I did not know that's what was happening the night before, but here's what happens. You guys make your own decisions. I decided that Evan was on TV cause that's what my brain was doing. But in order, for, in order for me to really see the program, I have to be right here on him. And so I would go right up on him and I said, you're on TV. Ser- no, no, seriously. No, it's amazing. And I think I told him a story about what he's doing on TV, blah, blah, blah. And he just, I didn't know at the time again, but he was just like, get out of my face. So I decided, you know, the movie was over and something else needs to happen. I was wearing a wife beater at the time. No bra. And I was the Hulk. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And so I ripped... So it's amazing. Have you ever tried to do that? It's amazing <laughs> that I accomplished this task all the way. I ripped it all the way open, and I was like, <sighs> "This is so cool!" But I've never seen a heterosexual male be so not interested in boobies. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I, tipped. but that's not what I was going for anyway. I was and I had the shirt off at this point, point. I'm like, this is magical, I don't think you understand, watch this. Now, again, I don't know if you know this, if you rip the back half, picture this now, the holes that were meant for your sleeves, uh-huh, are now holes that you put over your head and you have a cape. <laughs> and not just one cape, there are two sleeves. Evan had to wear a cape also. We're superheroes. We're high, this is what you wanted. <laughs> so we are in capes and he is so fed up. There's a formula in his head that he thinks will work and it did. He, what he did was he put on the movie Half Baked and I'm like, I will finally get it. So excited. And then what a, I'm so mad at him to this day. This is, he put a Costco size party mix. <laughs> potato chip cheese doodle pretzel you know the kind? You do. So he put it he put it right in front of me and I took the first bite and I was like oh, how did I ever underestimate Doritos in my life? And I just I I was eating like did you know about this? Oh my god just Uh, like making all the noises because it's the only way it could taste even better this wonderful 10 minutes later I'm passed out I'm sure he's happy again he called me shameless the next day and I decided maybe weed wasn't for me I thought we were having a nice time and it turns out I'm an asshole the whole time so I never let anyone pass the joint to me never happens again cut to about 5 years ago I start dating a pothead Hothead's name is Lauren. Hi, Lauren. <laughs> and so Lauren says, we should smoke. And I said, I've been here before. You don't want any of it. I was called shameless. Here's the story. You don't want it. Believe me. Lauren goes, yeah, I think we'll be okay. All right, you asked for it. We're going for it again, everybody. Capes to be made. <sighs> Let's take it out. So I smoke some weed and I like seltzer and there was a seltzer bottle. And I blew the shit out of it. <laughs> I licked I was thorough.
4: <laughs>
0: if you ever see bubbles in a seltzer, <laughs> you will remember me now. Just open the seltzer and know that I did that. So uh, the next day I said, I'm really sorry. I know what you want to say. The word is shameless. Here it is. And Lauren goes, I love you so much. That was the hottest moment in my life. We are engaged to be married. I've never been more happy. And I smoke pot every night now, but it's just to go to sleep. (laughs) Thank you, guys.
2: So awesome. I love the uh, the crowd instruction. You are right to murmur <laughs> More murmuring, please. Uh, our next guest is the other part of Keith and the girl. So a thrill to have both on tonight. Please welcome to the stage Mr. Keith Malley.
6: much. I have uh, two stories, and, you know, I could uh, tell you either. One is, I'm the guy with two
4: penises.
6: (laughs) Or I could tell you the story about how last night I literally murdered an innocent person. So by round of applause, what story would you like to hear? The story I, I will tell you does have to do, I don't mean to tease, it does have to do with penis has to do with my penis. And the day I broke my penis. And it's not, not as simple as, like, you would think, like, oh, did you break the bone in your dick? There's not actually a bone in your dick. They say bone or it's blood. I know I blew somebody's mind. Mine was. But some years ago, I didn't know if my dick is broken forever. And there is so, for only being in so many inches, there is so much... There's oh so much that is related to the penis. And a man or woman can easily understand. By the way, that's how I used to tell reports in high school. Abraham Lincoln was a great man. He did oh so many things. But well, you know what I'm saying. It's important. Anyway, I'm a little nervous because I've never done storytelling like this, you know, per se. But like you, I'm a big fan of The Risk, and I see storytellers do it. and I know their tricks, you know, where it's like... They, okay, they start with something... And then they go to something totally different, like, "Oh, I, did that even come out of my mouth?" And, and then they tell something different, and you're like, oh, that, "They're going to be embarrassed when they, you know, hear the tape." But then at the end, they go back to that exact same set, and you're like, "Oh, it's a sandwich," you know. Like, <laughs> let me give you an example. Like, um, if you told me that I'd be blowing two bums in the frat house after I won the Heisman Trophy, I would have called you crazy. I was always an A student in high school. <laughs> like, oh, <huh?" laughs> I certainly never expected to celebrate anything by shoving a pound of brie up my own asshole. Visiting the parents during Christmas is daunting. <laughs> Anyways... I had a rash on my penis that just came out of nowhere. And I, I, I was so scared. And I'm, you know, I'm Googling it. I'm looking things up. And nobody seems to have had this problem. I mean, WebMD, I had AIDS and cancer. But n- <laughs> nothing normal. Taught me anything. And I was so scared. So I go to the doctor. And a real doctor, not a free clinic. Because I've been to a free clinic. Whew. I, I went to the, when I went to a free clinic It was just for the yearly checkup See if there's any bugs down there It doesn't matter how, how careful you are If you go for the checkup Even if it's routine, you get nervous You can be a virgin You're still nervous something's up you know. Like the doctor's going to say to you uh, We have good news and bad news The good news is uh, We're going to name it after you The bad news is You have a case of the Malleys <laughs> <laughs> Doctor, what is this? So uh, I go into the free clinic, and the guy goes, okay, uh, second shelf, get the paperwork, third shelf while you're there, bring me the remote control to the TV. (laughs) So I give him the remote control, and I go, are you a secretary, a nurse? He goes, no, I just come here a lot, I know my way around. (laughs) Another guy is leaning against the wall, and he's on the phone, and he goes, listen, you fucking punta bitch, I'm dripping ooze. And I'm fucking itching all over Fuck you, you cunt As he's talking A patient, a woman comes in And she hears everything You know, punta, con, dripping, ooze It doesn't matter He blocks the phone with his chest And he goes, hey, you looking good, baby boo (laughs) She blushes And says, oh, thanks, that's sweet, boo It's a clinic Then a guy goes to me. He goes, hey, you're in my seat. (laughs) Now, some people, they seem like they live here, so I'm not going to cause problems, but I'm so close to being an asshole. Like, oh, is your name on it? I grab my code. I see behind me, carved in the seat, Jamal. I'm like, oh, okay, all right. It is carved in. The guy that I gave the remote to, he goes to turn on the TV. It's in a cage, you know. And... They're playing some abstinence video from, like, 1965. Like, you know, the only way not to get a disease is to be abstinent. And even then, you can't tell nowadays. And so he's about to change the channel. But on the bottom of the TV screen, it says, do not change the channel under any circumstances. As he's about to change the channel, the nurse walks in and goes, no, and points to the TV. Under no circumstances, he says But Betty, I just been told I got AIDS. She points harder under no circumstances. You're not the first. So no free clinic, so I go to a regular doctor. I could've just started with that, that's the point. I go to a regular doctor. See how I drink? Yeah, I thought, you thought it'd be about free clinics. It's not at all. So I go to a regular doctor, and I say, you know, I have this rash on my, you know, dick. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what's wrong. I, true story. He goes, uh, let me get the magnifying glass. I'm just joking. I got Patch Adams. Okay. So, so he looks at my dick, and he's like, okay. It's like jock itch, but a little worse. It's okay. I'm going to give you a prescription cream, and you're going to be fine. Which is good news, but it's just weird. why? Why is everything prescription? If your dick is fine, you're not messing with strange creams for fun. Let's see what it does. So I go in, and I give my prescription, and I go, okay, I'll take that, please. And they go, you know, this, this elderly gentleman, and he says, hmm, it's a cream. And go, yes, and I will. I will take the cream. <laughs> no, son, no. It's for your penis. <laughs> and I will. I will give you money for what you said. No, no, no. The cream is for your penis, and there's like three, three lines of uh, like Dwayne Reed, and you know, in the aisles, I'm like, what's that, a cream? I think it's for his penis. A cream for the penis, you say. Because I don't think you understand, son, it's for your penis. Like, I, I I get it. I think, I think you just have to do what they tell you to do. It's like, okay, okay. All right, son, how big's the area?
4: Like,
6: like as big as it says it is on the paper? Son, I need to know how big's the area on your penis? And I go, I don't know, you know, it's like, it's like this, but then sometimes it's like this. It's like, you're looking at me like I'm an asshole, but I, that area gets pretty, I don't fucking know. He goes, all right, all right, here's the cream, give me the cream. Doesn't work, a month later, I'm back at the doctor's, all right, doctor, the cream didn't work. They go, that's what I expected, we're uh, right on schedule. I'm going to give you a pill, $165, that's going to wipe it right up. And I'm like, all right, fine, so it's worth it. I take the pill. doesn't work. Come back a month later. And I go, doc, this isn't working. It's been months now. My chick's starting to take it personal. Did I tell you oh, so much things are related to the dick doctor? Oh, so many things. So he, he goes, okay. Uh, we're right on schedule with the pill not working either. $2,000. We're right on schedule. I have a, I'm going to give you a cream, and I'm going I'm to give you a pill, and that's going to do it. And I go, doctor, we got to, there's something else we got to do. This is ridiculous. And he goes, okay, you take the cream, you take the pill. If it doesn't work, you come back a month later, and we're going to cut off a piece of your dick. <laughs> I'm like, this is some bedside manner, right? So, and he goes, he goes relax, relax. We're going to cut off a piece of your dick, and we're going to send it to the scientist, and they're going to tell us what's wrong. I'm like, well, you're missing a fucking word in there. Dick skin. You're going to cut off a piece of dick skin. And he's like, okay, easy, all right. <laughs> Somebody went to school for this. It's good. I'm like, doctor, it's a biopsy So and, and you know what? As freaky as that is I'm, into, I'm so frustrated I'm in tears often It's, it's so sad. Thank you One moment we'll Go around the room, thank you it's like, oh, Well, it is what it is <laughs> But it, it's, it's debilitating And it's so sad And, and yeah, you're going to cut off a piece But okay, maybe it grows back thicker You know what I mean? <laughs> like shaving They're the scientists. So I take the cream. I take the pill. It doesn't work. I come back. They go, okay, no problem. Right on schedule. There's a new cream on the market. And I go, doctor, we got to take drastic action. Let's cut off a piece of my dick skin send it to the scientist. And he looks at me and he goes, you want me to cut off a piece of your dick skin? You
4: said it!
6: I didn't say it, you said it I wasn't watching TV and they said, ask your doctor if cutting off a piece of your dick skin is right for you You said it, freak Don't turn it around So they cut off a piece of my dick skin I never got the results I've been seeing doctors throughout Nobody has an answer And I'm just disgusted at going I'm like, that's it, I have no more dick This is the life I'm gonna live Well, like, I'm sure I can't be the only one by the way, I, I would have been. The one thing, no support groups. Yeah, so it's, it's just, I'm having a fucking time. It ends up, by not going to a doctor, it just goes away. It just goes away. No rhyme or reason. However, I kept, and I still keep getting bills for this. And it gets like you ever get these letters and, you know, I mean, healthcare is free in America if you want it to be. You get the letter and you ignore it right in the fucking garbage. Go fuck yourself. And then but then the secretary rates on it like uh, Mr. Malley, please pay your bill. Smiley face, you know, right in the garbage. And then they take the big red marker and they go, Keith Malley. You know this is your responsibility! Three exclamation points. First of all, I don't take that shit serious unless there's five exclamation points. It's underlined, circled, and arrows going to it. Right in the garbage. Goodbye. You know, I'm not saying if your job is to handle dick skin, you shouldn't get paid. You should. That's a horrible job. I'm just saying a doctor is the only profession that when you fuck up, you still expect to get paid. Right? Right in the garbage. What a... What a t- you know what? And it's so... First of all, let me say this. I feel like the front row is like inching back a little bit. I swear I'm fine. <laughs> inching, itching, all of it. I swear. I kind of want to take out my dick and show you. Afterwards, I'll show you one at a time and keep your phones in your pockets. And, uh, I'm on to some of yous. But it's just even thinking about I remember I saw an interview with George Clooney. And he said, you know, he used to be on ER, and he says, you know, even with, I mean, he's at the top of his game, if not the top. And he says, even after all the movies and stuff that I've done, people remember that I was on ER, and they come to me thinking I'm a doctor. And they ask me questions, you know, about their, their health. That is so fucking goofy. I don't think there's any way that's possible. I think regular people like me go to doctors. They don't help us at all, and we think, well... ER was a multi-million dollar production. And they had a millions of viewers. They probably had scientists figure out the lingo. Maybe George Clooney worked on a dick rash episode. I meet him in the symposium. That's something real, right? And I go, hey, can you just look? Did you do an episode? I don't really think you're a doctor. That'd be stupid. But can you just look at the rash, maybe? Maybe you did. Maybe you did. I went to one doctor. And he, he said... Uh, Well, let's figure out where this rash came from. Do you have any children? And and I said, why would it matter? He said, because maybe you got it playing with your children. (laughs) I'm like, when I would play with my children with my dick. (laughs) Like I'm on to catch a predator over here. Anyway, it did go away. I'm very happy. I remember I celebrated... By shoving a pound of brie up my own asshole. (laughs) Thank you guys so very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you all.
2: We have one last storyteller for the night. She is a favorite of ours. We love having her on every time. She is a fabulous storyteller around about town. Please welcome to the stage, Selena Kopic.
3: Right. I used to subscribe to the Groucho Marx saying, "I would never want to be part of a club that would have me as a member." When it came to relationships. For a long time, my entire life until recently, was very suspicious of male attention. I always thought it was duplicitous and bullshit and not real. Uh, and I blame that on an experience I had when I was in seventh grade. I was on a bus to a, a Christian youth group ski trip to New Hampshire. And I was flirting with this guy who was also in seventh grade. And he asked me if I would want to go out with him. Whatever going out is when you're in seventh grade. But I said yes, and I was excited. And so for the whole weekend, we were going out. It was pretty great. (laughs) And then on the ride back to Boston, um, he revealed that it was all a big joke. It was a hilarious ruse, and he and his friends were on the bus cracking up because who would want to date me? I mean, are you kidding me? Like, of course it was a joke. Who wants to date Selena? Selena. And that really stuck with me I just never believed Guys when they claimed to like me I always thought it was a giant long game ruse And that they were going to try to fuck me over In the end somehow So I really did Believe that for a long time I was extremely paranoid with men I just never believed it I didn't think any intentions were true So I always preferred bad guys Because at least a wolf is in wolf's clothing You know I got no time for a wolf in sheep's clothing But, like, if you're a dick and you say you're a dick, okay. Like, no one's going to get hurt here, because fuck you, because fuck you. You know what I mean? (laughs) But if you claim to be a nice guy, oh, no, 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 you're going to fucking chew me up and spit me out. So I went after bad guys for a long, long time. And my confession is that that paranoia and distrust of really good guys prompted me a couple years ago to really eat this guy alive, really nice guy and I fucking ruined him (sighs) oh yay so a couple years ago I was at an open mic I'm a stand-up comedian I'm a storyteller and I was at an open mic with a bunch of pals and I was just sort of bitching about dating and I was describing my type which is like husky fucking man's man you know like beard um and uh, ideally a like guy who appreciates comedy like knows what Mr. Show is but doesn't do comedy you know like perfect ding 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 And also, of course, loves Guns N' Roses and old school rock. So I'm chatting about this, and this guy, sort of friend-acquaintance, comedian friend of mine was like, Hey, you would love my brother Bob. You guys would be great together. He is everything you're describing. So I do a little Facebook research, and Bob is, like, kind of my type, but, like, kind of tiresome. And, like, you can already tell just from the photos. I was like, a little tiresome already. Like, in every group photo of this guy, if there's a whole gang of people all, like, smiling for the camera, in every photo, Bob's looking off like he's shocked. And that's hilarious. But it gets tiresome real quick. And so I'm like, oh, he seems really funny. Like, I should give this a shot. He seems like a genuinely nice guy. Like, he's not, a, a, you know, a wolf in sheep's clothing. He's a fucking sheep. Like, wicked sheep, you know? But, but there, and, and he was my type in so many ways. Like, he was husky, which I really liked. But I tend to prefer husky in, like, used to play hockey or football in childhood and then, like, kind of let themselves go, you know? <laughs> but yeah, which, it's, like, hot shit. I dig it, Yeah but he was husky in a way of like always hated gym class you know like oh. <laughs> you know but he he was very funny and uh, and he he was really pale skinned which i am a self-hating irish woman oh my god like i like olive complexion guys like i so prefer that like when i used to watch chips patrol i loved ponch you know who didn't love ponch everyone loved ponch no one liked john but so he it really didn't align with a lot of the things that I liked, but he seemed so nice. So I was like, you know what, Selena? Oh, like, go after a nice guy who is straight up for real nice. So uh, we started corresponding on Facebook, and the messages were so damn funny. Oh, my God. Like, all we would do was, like, write funny jokes to each other and then quote Guns N' Roses lyrics to each other, but, like, in conversation. So... I'd be like, you know, I believe that Axl Rose is a mean machine, <laughs> but I've got a problem with his assertion that he's been drinking gasoline. <laughs> and like, it was like so dumb. But like we would write these like stupid Guns and Roses things back and forth to each other, and it was so much fun. So then we started going out and having drinks together, and it was so platonic. Oh my god, it was so platonic. But I wanted it to be romantic. I really wanted to want him. And so I did the three beer test many times, and the three beer test is a test that I have. Whenever I am hanging out with a dude and it feels really platonic, but I want to know if there could ever be a chance, I drink three beers on an empty stomach, and uh, <laughs> ta-da! Um, and if I don't want to fucking crawl across the table and shove my tongue down this guy's throat, I know that I will simply never want to be intimate with him. <laughs> It's kind of like a good little indicator, you know. So I did the 3 beer test time after time after time, and he kept flunking it. And I was like, oh, I want to want you, you know. But it just wasn't working, but he was so damn nice. And so I was like, you know what, Selena, just do this. Go for the sheep. Be with a nice guy. So we were hanging out for a little while, um, and he was so lovely. At the time, I was working on uh, the Sex and the City bus tour. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that tour that is supposedly ruining the West Village, fuck you, but, so I was a tour guide on the Sex and City bus tour, which for the uninitiated is a three hour tour, Um, but we don't, we don't bring coconut bras, but it's a three hour tour where we go all over Manhattan and it's mostly women from the Midwest and women from English speaking countries uh, in the UK and Europe. And it's like 99% women, 55 ladies on a bus, three hours, cruising Manhattan, seeing where Samantha fucked that guy, where Charlotte bought the rabbit, you know, like cruising. It is a lot of fun. (laughs) It's a lot of fun. And literally no one from my friends or family ever rode on the tour when I was giving it. So when Bob wanted to ride on the tour, I was like, fuck yeah, this is great. So he came on the tour and sat right up front in my, you know, you know, I sit up front because I'm the tour guide, and he would sit next to me. So he came on this tour with me, and it's fucking 54 women and Bob, and oh, like how lovely of him to come along. So we're cruising around the West Village, and of course we start talking about, you know, the ladies and their men, and so we talk about Aiden versus Big, you know what I mean? And you know Big was this bad guy Just like bad news You know like He cheated on Carrie With his fucking second wife You know the beige situation Like He cheated on his wife With Carrie He was so unemotional He was so unavailable to her And he was such a bad dude But she fucking ends up with him You know And then there's sweet Aiden Who's this lovely carpenter And like the two damaged woods Come together You know like (laughs) He's so awesome And she fucking eats him alive You know like so I'm on the, you know, and I'm making jokes, and I was like, you know, Aiden was just too nice. Like, a guy like that, I would fucking chew him up and spit him out. And as I say that, these 54 women are just cackling and clapping. They're like, yeah! And I look over at Bob, and he's just horrified. <laughs> and I wanted to be like, I'm gonna eat you alive, Ron! But I didn't. I had invited him to a wedding of my college friends who were getting married in Hoboken and I had invited him and I was just really psyched to go with a guy I was seeing because I set up the bride and the groom because I'm really good at that for everyone else. Um, I was invited to the rehearsal dinner but without a date. So I went over to Hoboken that Friday night for the rehearsal dinner just solo. And it's 30 dudes who I went to Hamilton with and they're great guys and we're partying really hard and having fun. And I end up sort of hitting it off with this one guy, Chris, who went to college with me. And he is fucking bad news. Like, I know he's bad news. He got kicked out of my college, super fuck up, but super rich, which I also think is gross. Played soccer, all of complexion, really witty, just like, oh, you're such a bad idea. And we get really drunk, and he and I end up going back to his hotel room in Hoboken and... and making out g-rated hookup but nonetheless a fucking you know i mean shitty super shitty of me so i wake up the morning of the wedding and i'm in his hotel room and i'm like i just fyi i'm coming to the wedding in a couple hours with a date so don't be weird bye (laughs) (laughs) oh god so I go back to Brooklyn I shower I put on my dress Bob shows up for the car service and he's so excited to go to this wedding and he's so lovely oh god so we walk into the um, church in Hoboken arm in arm and Chris must have forgotten that I had warned him that I would be bringing a date because Chris the groomsman is just like "Er!" and I'm just acting like everything's fine walking in with Bob and I just think to myself like god Selena who's the bad guy it's you it's me you know So I spend the entire reception avoiding Chris, the groomsman, and hanging out with Bob, who spends the entire reception posing for photos in which he's staring off. (laughs) I'm just like, stop doing that! And then doing his patented past hors d'oeuvres move, which he loves, which is that whenever there's past hors d'oeuvres going around, he always says, let me try one of these bad boys. And it's funny on time number one or two or three even... But times 5 through 15, I'm like, oh, my God, stop. I'm just, oh, it's just so tiresome. I just got no love for this. So right after the reception is over, I'm like, let's go back to the hotel room, and we just go to sleep. I'm just, I want this day to be done so badly. So we go back to the hotel room, fall asleep. We wake up the next day, and I immediately break up with him. I know, I know. i just, I felt so horrible about the whole thing, and I felt like I was such a prick And I felt like I was dating him out of pity, and I was that shitty seventh grade schmuck on the ski trip bus, you know? Like, don't fucking do that. Don't fucking date someone to be nice. Like, don't date someone to try to convince yourself that you're the good guy, because you're not. You're the asshole by doing that, you know? The whole thing made me so sad, but in the spirit of risk, I break up with him, he hops in the shower. I know that Chris, the bad news guy, is two floors directly below us. Oh. <laughs> so Bob hops in the shower. I hop on the elevator, go down two floors, show up at Chris's door. Just like the, we fucking make out. I like push him away, run away. Like oh, I just needed like one last like fucking bad shit. Good night.
4: No.
3: <laughs> And I knew I needed to change my ways. And I knew that for me and for everyone, there's never going to be that black and white of a division. There's never going to be the bad character, Big, who's so bad. You know, and there's never going to be the good guy, Aiden. Like, no, you're going to find someone in the middle in a gray area. And that's what I'm trying to do more so now is, like, I think that you can find a nice guy who has an edge. And in the spirit of that Groucho Marx quote, To be in a coupling with a nice guy who has an edge and keeps me on my toes, that's the kind of team or group that I would like to be a member of. Thank you.
4: Chance. Life for me just been a walking apart It doesn't really matter, it never really mattered I never really had a broken heart yeah. Such a shock to me, when it looks to me like people going through the motion And when it's over yeah, the hearts are broken I'm fine, I'm a She really loved him, but I couldn't see it though He really loving but I don't believe it, No. I,
2: That is it for this week's episode, folks. This is Dr. Dog behind me now. And special thanks to Jeremy Ween for helping us out with NYC PodFest there. Really great time. We have a ton of amazing live shows coming up. The first is really unusual. It's Tuesday January 21st at Studio Stage in Los Angeles, that's at 520 Northwestern Avenue and starts at 715. Now, this is a benefit for the story studio. There will be no storytelling, there will be, though, some legendary performers. Harvard Sailing Team will be there, one of the greatest sketch comedy groups in America in forever. They're going to be reuniting uh, after a bit of a hiatus. Chris Smith of Paranormal Activity and We Are Men is in that group. The legendary improv troupe Big Black Car will be reuniting as well. Ellie Kemper from The Office, Kristen Schaal from The Daily Show, and Matt Oberg from Ugly Americans. They're all in Big Black Car. So don't miss it. Super fun night on Tuesday, January 21st. Then on the 23rd, Risk is at the Pit in New York and at Nerd Melt in Los Angeles, on the 31st, Risk is in San Francisco with Dana Gould, Stephen Tobolowski, Nato Green, and Brendan Walsh. On the 1st of February, we're in Seattle. On the 7th of February, we're in Dallas. For more information about any of this, go to risk-show.com tour or go to our Facebook or Twitter accounts at Risk Show. Risk is a member of the Maximum Fun network and we are listener supported. We very much need the help of our listeners to keep this running. So go to maximumfun.org/donate to make a one-time donation or to become a member and be sure to earmark your contribution for Risk. Other than that, be sure to check out our site at thestorystudio.org where you can find out all about our workshops. Storytelling for business, storytelling for the stage, the page, for dating, for job interviews, and more. Also, online courses and one-on-one coaching over Skype. Just go to thestorystudio.org. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. I blew that business, man.